as we ourselves are looking for uh, the Lord to raise up another elder or more uh, in the days ahead, we are looking at, at portions of Scripture to help us understand what the ministry really is. It is lost in this day of the Internet, this day of television and radio preachers, people that just sit at home and listen to technology instead of understanding the importance of gathering with God's people. The church is God's gathered people. <clears throat> and uh, we, we together worship and adore him in a way that we cannot any other way. Lone Rangers sitting on their sofa are not worshiping the Lord as they could or should when they're not with God's people. So that being the case, we want to know how we can identify these shepherds after God's own heart. This morning's message is going to be um, something, as I continue laying the foundation, I'm really glad that I was encouraged to do these in the morning service. Uh, I've been going back over uh, the previous time I did that, and I'm overhauling everything. Because uh, we can take the uh, characteristics and the qualifications of an elder and look at them. But I think it's far more important for us to understand the context out of which those qualifications rise. Why does God require this of men who mount the, pub, uh, the pulpit in any congregation? Why? It is the fulfillment of God's prophecy. And therefore, we want to make sure we're not uh, muddying the waters by just going it on our feelings or what we think would be a great idea. The churches of Jesus Christ in this country, I can't speak for other countries, but I can say in this country, they are drowning and becoming utterly irrelevant and ineffective because they're drowning in men's good ideas. They need to preach and adhere to the word of God without changing what's being said here. It's always relevant to preach God's word to men's souls. So that being said, we're going to go to Acts chapter 20 this morning. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. I would love to do an exposition of this entire chapter. We're just going to look primarily at one verse, but we're going to read a lengthy portion. We want to get a little sense for where this verse lies in its context. And then we want to see it against the backdrop of both the Old and New Testament revelation. This is vital. This is important. We need to read the scriptures well so that we might understand them clearly and then obey them. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 17. Would you please stand with me as we hear God's word in his holy presence? <clears throat> By the way, we have a number of visitors today. I welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to have you here. Don't know 
Uh, if you're just here for a visit, we don't know if you've come from down uh, from central Florida, but whatever your, your reason for being here, uh, we pray the Lord's rich blessings upon you as you're in our midst. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> this is God's word. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He, in this context, is Paul. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons." serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. You understand what he's saying here, right? Out of your congregation, false teachers and people that want them to respect them are going to get up and drag people out of the congregation. Does that sound familiar, familiar to you? If you've lived in American churches long enough, it's a regular thing. That's astounding to me. Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch 
And remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his living word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. And now, O blessed triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have prayed, seeking thy blessing, seeking thy face, seeking thee. We have sung, I trust, with grace in our hearts to the Lord, teaching and admonishing one another in these Christ-exalting hymns. Now, Father, we come to hear the blessed Spirit of God. We come to hear the Spirit-inspired words. We come to hear from the head of the church, Jesus Christ, that we may praise Father and Son and Spirit. There are lost people here, Lord. There are people who do not know Thee. And if they were to close their eyes in death today, would drop into eternity without Christ, and no hope but everlasting hell. There are those, O oh God, that if Christ were to appear before this service were over and he sat upon the throne of his glory, he would separate, he would separate them into the mass of the goats and cast them into the eternal fire. Our hearts cannot bear this. Please, O oh God, save the lost. And Father, I ask Thee to have mercy, mercy upon our brothers and sisters today that are not with us for sickness' sake, 
heal their bodies. Please grant them healing. For those, O oh Lord, in Central Florida, in Southwest Florida, O oh God, what, what a mess you made of man's works this week. We're building no heaven on earth. But oh God, this little city has endured many such calamities. Many of our fellow cities in this state have and along the Gulf Coast. Lord, when thou dost shake the earth, oh, that all would tremble and look to thee. Father, there are so many. There are those that, have, that are wounded. We're asking that thou wouldst get them help quickly. There are those who have lost so much, if not everything. Lord, grant them grace. Grant them shelter. Lord, keep the responders safe. Father, there are so many dangers in entering a ground that has been so destroyed like this. Father, all of those that have come from other states, all of those that are pouring in to help, grant them grace, strength, courage, wisdom, and preserve them. But most of all, O oh God, we pray that every eye would turn to the creator of heaven and earth. May they see their need for Christ Jesus. Father, we do pray for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. Draw near. Comfort them with gospel promises and heal broken hearts. Please, Lord. And now we are gathered to hear thy word. Help this weak vessel of dust. Lord, help thy people to hear thee. And I ask all of this, that thou wouldst be exalted and that thy people would be edified. Thy church would be built up and that thy kingdom would advance in this world. Destroy the works of the devil in the hearts of those today that welcome him. And I pray, O righteous Father, that thou wouldst fill this place with the glorious power and the refreshing light of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. The prophet Jeremiah had a mouth full of fire. God's words of judgment for unfaithful Israel and Judah. God rebuked Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, 
for their adulterous idolatry. They shamelessly and defiantly broke his covenant, lying at the heart of his people's whoredom were their unconverted kings, princes, prophets, and priests. In other words, their unfaithful shepherds. Speaking as a betrayed husband, God called Israel to return to him. If she did so, he would bring a remnant to Jerusalem. God then promised to give them shepherds according to his heart. Those shepherds would not lead the people astray, but feed them with knowledge and understanding. This is God's promise. But when would that time be? The answer is this. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, Jeremiah announced in chapter 3 of his book, the first great messianic prophecy. And I mean the first great prophecy in his book. It anticipates a time when God would unite Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles into the church of Jesus Christ. It is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. The apostles of Christ and the faithful pastors of Christ's churches. And that gospel age will conclude with all God's people in the new Jerusalem with Christ. And for those of you who have not been with us, we have spent two weeks looking at Jeremiah's prophecy. You can find it in uh, uh, verses 6 through 18. Now, the sacred text that we have just read in Luke's book of Acts speaks of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. The prophecy of faithful shepherds, pastors, according to God's heart, not their own, not necessarily their denomination, but the word, the living word of God. Now let's listen carefully to the Holy Spirit's shepherd imagery in Paul's words to the elders of the Ephesian church. Remember, he's talking to pastors. We might call Paul the pastor's pastor. <clears throat> he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. He didn't say the whole congregation. He could have. He said to the flock. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed 
the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now you're listening carefully to those words. Paul clearly identified the Ephesian elders as shepherds. He didn't have to use the word. When you are overseeing and feeding the flock, you are the shepherd. And Paul clearly commanded them, these shepherds, to keep watch, to feed, and to protect Christ's blood-bought flock. The church at Ephesus. The flock is not some imaginary group of animals. It is standard biblical description of God's people. So, when he says, when the apostle says, feed the flock, he's saying, preach to the church the word of God. And he's using imagery that everybody there understood. As I said last week, we are not living at a time when virtually any of us know anything about real shepherding. Might be someone here that is an exception. But generally speaking, we're city dwellers. We don't know what is demanded of a shepherd, and therefore we miss what the imagery is saying to us. Very easy. So I hope to clear some of that up in the messages ahead. Our, our message this morning is entitled, God's Promise of Faithful Shepherds Fulfilled. God's Promise of Faithful Shepherds Fulfilled. May our Gracious, our loving Heavenly Father, reveal His Son to us in the living words of Scripture. This is not a dead book. You might have a dead heart, a dead mind, but God's Word is living. And may the Holy Spirit fill our hearts with knowledge and understanding. This is God's promise. May it be fulfilled here this morning. So we have one major thought this morning. <clears throat> Paul commands the Ephesian elders using shepherd imagery. Paul's spirit-inspired words are, Take heed. Be careful. Be watchful. Therefore, unto yourselves. He begins with them. Watch yourself. Pastors everywhere need to watch themselves continually. And then he says, and to all the flock. To the church the Lord 
has assigned you to pastor to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's why it's vital. It's God's appointment empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not a popularity contest. It's not about voting for the candidate that is going to guarantee you the most benefits. It's about recognizing men that have clear testimony in their lives that the Holy Ghost has made them something. And you must use the glasses, the spectacles of Scripture to recognize them and the help of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost had made them elders, bishops, pastors. Those are all titles for the same work. We'll spend some time on that in future messages. So here, <clears throat> they're overseers. They're bishops. They are overseeing. They're ruling the sheep. That's the notion. Watch yourself. Watch the flock. The Holy Ghost has made you a watcher, an overseer of those sheep. It's hard to imagine any more sober words to say to another human being. God has put you in a place. God did it, not you, not because you're wonderful, not because uh, you can out-preach everybody. It's because God has put his hand on you and said, now, I've got to work for you. Go do this work. And then he says, he's made you overseers to feed the church of God. What does that mean? It means feed them the bread of the word. Feed them with Christ. Feed them with the Holy Scriptures. And then he adds one more weighty thought. <clears throat> which he, God, hath purchased with his own blood. That flock, this flock, belongs to God. Not to me or any other under-shepherd raised up to preach God's word. It's Christ's. This is Christ's possession. To a certain degree, there, there could be a big label over the congregation this morning to me and to any other pastor. <laughs> Handle with care. This is mine, says the living God. So, this is a weighty statement in the middle of many weighty statements in this chapter. 
But we're focusing primarily here. But before we consider this text in greater detail, which I hope to do next week, we need to understand that Paul's thought and the imagery that he's using are deeply rooted in Old Testament Scripture. Paul isn't just a guy with a quick mind who says, I need a good illustration for everybody. I've got it. Um, we'll do, I, I, I'll talk to, about the congregation being a flock. And, and I'll talk about you guys overseeing that flock, which means you're shepherds. Paul knew and understood the Old Testament scriptures as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that the Old Testament was dripping, was saturated with Christ. He understood that there were prophecies and prophecies of the time in which he was then living. He understood that he was a part of the outworking of God's eternal purpose. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. To the Jews, that would be a nasty name. Gentiles? Yes. And Paul was delighted with it. He understood it as a Jew. It didn't make him popular. So we need to go back to the Old Testament just a little bit. We could do a long series, which we're not going to do, on just looking at all of the shepherd, the pastoral imagery that the Old Testament scriptures are virtually laden with. <clears throat> this, this will definitely be a, a run through the zoo. We're not stopping to read about the creatures. All right? What we're doing is just taking a quick look. Now, I hope this will be useful. So the first thing that we want to consider here under this thought is shepherd imagery appears throughout the Old Testament. It's there. And while all of us know, or, or I should say all that have read the entire scriptures and have any familiarity with the Old Testament, as any of those would know, there is a great deal of imagery about shepherds and sheep but probably not nearly as much as there is there. We probably don't realize how saturated from Genesis to the end of the, New, of the Old Testament that, that this imagery appears over and over. So, <clears throat> our first thought then is Abel at the beginning of human history. Abel... At the beginning of human history was a shepherd. Genesis 4 reveals that after being cast out of Eden, Adam and Eve bore two sons, Cain and Abel. Verse 2 says, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. That's very early, not only in Scripture, but in the history of the world. 
And things that begin in the book of beginnings unfold throughout the entire Bible. And this is one of those themes. <clears throat> and what was Abel's first sacrifice in the worship of God? He also brought, says the sacred text, of the firstlings of his flock. That means his firstborn lamb. And of the fat thereof. And this connection between offering a firstborn sheep finds its fulfillment in the firstborn son of Mary, Jesus, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Secondly, shepherd imagery fills Israel's history. I cannot do it justice in a short time, but I'll do my best to at least stir your thinking. Abraham and Lot were wealthy men with herdsmen and flocks. <clears throat> Genesis makes this abundantly clear. Isaac became rich and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks. Jacob met Rachel, a shepherdess. At a well for watering sheep. I mean, when it's not the focus of a passage, it's astounding how often it's the background of a passage. <clears throat> Jacob later shepherded Laban's sheep and became wealthy with flocks and herds himself. Joseph's brothers answered Pharaoh's question about their occupation. Thy servants... Our shepherds. Both we and also our fathers. Moses, the prophet, was like a shepherd to the people of Israel. And this idea of a leader through the wilderness undergirds the entire Old Testament. Someone that carries you through, someone that guides you through, someone that provides for you in the wilderness, in the difficulties, in the challenges of this world. God told Moses that he would not enter the promised land because he sinned against the Lord at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh. Moses then prayed to the Lord. What did that great man do? Even though he had failed and failed in such a way that the Lord wouldn't let him in to the promised land, what was his prayer? Listen. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep, which have no shepherd. Now you're being told a lot about shepherds right there. Guide them. Why do they need guidance? Aren't sheep brilliant enough to live their own lives? <laughs> now some of you know the answer to that. 
Listen carefully. Sheep are stupid. They're stupid animals. They're not known for their brilliance, their cleverness. They're cute, but they're stupid. Now, that's why they need someone to guide them. Now, do, do we, we're laughing. Do we realize that is we? You are the Lord's. You and I <laughs> are among the Lord's stupids. I don't like that talk. Well, that's why you need a shepherd. You don't know yourself well enough to realize just how disconnected from God's realities you are. He said, I don't want the people to be like stupid creatures that don't have a guide. That, by the way, is a pastor's heart. That's what Moses had done. He had put up with these people for an extraordinary amount of time. He was challenged over and again, threatened over and again when he would try, when he would try just to lead them according to what the Word of God said. They proved their stupidity and their backwardsness. They would be like sheep with no shepherd. That doesn't really make any picture to us. That means they're wide open to destruction. They don't know how to care for themselves. They think they do. They'll wander off this way. They'll wander off that way. And a, and a, and a wolf will eat them. They want their, listen carefully, own way. That will be your own destruction as a professing Christian. I want my way. That's Satan's way. What you want to say is, I want God's way, period. That's what I want. I want to walk with God. Well, <clears throat> the Lord gives us imagery so that we can understand that. And it's, okay, well, then you, you need a shepherd. That's the remedy for our stupidity. And we all need shepherds. Beginning right here behind the pulpit. That's why we talk about under shepherds. Well, that being the case, the most famous shepherd in Israel was King David. As a youth, he declared to Saul and David Said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. That means he was a shepherd. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Sheep have enemies. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. That's pretty bold talk. 
for a guy as young as David was. Seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. And we could go on through all of the historic books. Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. <clears throat> Even the prophets are filled with this imagery of kings that are shepherds. Princes that are shepherds. This was true of the world in general. The ancient world thought of leaders as shepherds. Not just people that took care of fuzzy animals. They understood that a shepherd had to be a leader. Had to be. Four of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah, all use pastoral and shepherd themes. And as we learned in our brief examination of Jeremiah's first chapter, Jeremiah's first chapters, the idea of shepherd is applied to religious leaders and civil magistrates. Why? Because shepherds exert authority over their flocks. That's the whole point of their existence. The flocks need leading, feeding, and protection. As I said last week, it's shocking to us as Americans who've grown up in democracy. My thoughts are as important as anybody else. My ways are as important as anybody else's. Uh, you know, my ideas are just as wonderful as anybody else's. That's the way sheep think. That's not smart thinking because it's not true. But it's a lie we've all been sold. Here's the mind you want controlling yours. That's it. This is what should be governing your thoughts. And God takes weak and pathetic vessels and administers that mind to our minds. And properly preached. We don't generally like it. But properly understood, we learn to love that. Amen. Thy word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Thy word is truth. Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. That's what we need every day. We live in a world of lies. And our heart vomits up a lot of them. Now, as I said, religious leaders and civil magistrates were called shepherds because they 
were not only to care for the sheep, but they were to lead the sheep. Right? Not by their own good ideas, but by what God says. What all of us here need to understand with really great clarity is that authority is the easiest thing in this world to abuse. Number two, authority is something that unless we have it, we generally despise it. And if you don't get that, you're not reading the same book that I am. <clears throat> In fact, some even bristle at the term of authority and even the thought that another human being would claim it. But that's not surprising. <clears throat> some of you perhaps have heard the name Korah and how he went to Moses and said, uh, you put too much on yourself. Right? Any Korah spirits here? Don't say no. <clears throat> now, there are many passages that speak of shepherds and flocks throughout the Old Testament. And it, it, it's there, the list is very, very lengthy. To consider them all would be out of the scope of this sermon. But when we look at all the passages carefully, we will discover this. We often think of the shepherd with his sheep now, I know some of you are going to agree with me. Some of you may not. That's perfectly okay. That would not be new. And sometimes you're perfectly right to disagree with me. <clears throat> I've had some good reproofs here in this congregation by wonderfully godful brothers, uh, godly brothers. But right now, the point is this. Most of us tend to think of the shepherd with his sheep in terms of tender care. Right? Tender care Care for the sick and the needy and the broken. Now, that's perfectly right. The problem when we think that way is that if that's the only way we view the shepherd, we miss the biblical picture. When we encounter somebody that abuses authority, we generally, turn, uh, generally tend to hate authority. Which is exactly what Satan wants. That's why handling authority wisely, graciously, humbly must be something that people see in a man they're considering to be a pastor. They're not going to be any perfect pastor. You're not going to get one. You don't have one now. <laughs> and there's not going to be succession of perfect pastor. But there are those that God has appointed, as we saw in Ephesus. Paul said, the Holy Ghost made you fellows elders of that congregation. Notice. It doesn't say, that church made you elders. That doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit equips a man 
and the church has the mind of God. To evaluate the man, not how you feel as such. Sometimes your feelings about somebody prove to be the true thing. No question. But uh, if you're honest with yourself, there have been many times you were absolutely convinced by the way you feel about something and you were wrong as you could be. So we have an unchanging scale. We have an unchanging book that tells us what to be looking for. So, as I said, the idea of pastoral care is important. It's vital. It's part of the picture. It's an important part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. They are to rule. And the scriptures use that very word. Viewing the idea of a shepherd in the sense of just tender care, not only deforms and distorts the biblical view, but it's, it's uh, ultimately uh, very unfortunate for the congregation that thinks that way. Now, as the few passages that we have just looked at uh, uh, and and uh, and have considered very briefly, as they make clear, the shepherd's demanding work is leading, feeding, and protecting. The shepherd's oversight of his flock is about rule and care. Everybody's going like the care part. Not so much the rule part. And that's why we need elders to believe and apply the word of God. <clears throat> the kind of care that we find in the scripture is a self-sacrificing care that may cost the elders life and health. Because that's what Christ did. We shouldn't be surprised at it because God himself is the shepherd of Israel in the Old Testament. It wasn't just about tender care, was it? When his people broke the covenant, what did he do? He kept his discipline hot. Yes. Are you reading that book? Read Jeremiah. Read it over and over. And see how the loving God, the one pleading for Israel to come back, watch what he says. Look at the power of his words when they refuse to repent. That is why in the New Testament flock, there is such a thing as church discipline. Many people that call themselves Christians hate the idea of church discipline. Listen carefully, and I don't say this in an ugly way. 
It's just the fact. They don't believe Jesus. Jesus commanded church discipline. How important is it? The Reformation, which was all about going back to the authority of the word of God, studied and studied and studied and studied. And they said, there's three marks for a real biblical church. One of them was church discipline. When a church will not discipline those that are part of it, when they will not repent of their sins, they are defiant to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Does that mean we discipline everybody as soon as they fail? Of course not. That's ridiculous. That's not what the, the scriptures show us. There is the pleading, come back. I've sat in the presence of parents who have children that are running off the, rack, off the, off the rails. And they've heard us say, please, please change the direction you're running. Please hear us. We're calling you back. But if you will not come, we must obey Christ. That's authorized by the head of the church. <clears throat> when Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, he said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life. Isn't that a great sentence? He fed me all my life long unto this day. The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads. Now the word fed in that passage, it's a verb. The handbook on Genesis by Rayburn and Fry says that word, the Hebrew word, translates a verb that means to tend as a shepherd tends his sheep. The general sense is to care for, to look after. In pastoral terms, it says, The God who has shepherded me to this very day. That's what Jacob was saying. He shepherded me. He guided me. He corrected me. He saved my life. Amen. John Gill adds, quote, who had upheld him, the God who had upheld him in life, provided for all the necessities of life, food and raiment, and had followed him with his goodness ever since he had being. If you're a child of God, the Lord has been tracking you. He's been, if I can put it this way, stalking you Amen. from the time you came into this world. And there was a moment when he drew you out of your darkness into his glorious light. And he was sustaining you even in your stinking rebellions against him. What a merciful God. God knows how to use authority. We need to learn from him. And Gil goes on to say, <clears throat> And he has fed him with the, as the great shepherd of the flock, both with temporal and spiritual food, being the God of his life and of his mercies, in every sense, close quote, that's the shepherd I want. Amen. Now, what about you? 
Well, that shepherd appoints under shepherds. Now, why? I don't know why he did that, but it pleased him to do that. God likes using human beings to do things. We're made in his image. Jacob blessed Joseph, saying, But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. That's God. The shepherd. And who does not know David's psalm? <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to have any needs that are not met because I've got this shepherd. And if he's withholding something you really want, he loves you. And he's saying, either not now or no. That's not good for you. Yeah, but, but they. It's like, no, I'm dealing with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall have no want. To study the verbs of that entire psalm, Psalm 23, gives us a wonderful look at the work of a shepherd. It's right there. In Isaiah, the prophet speaks of the Lord God as a shepherd. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock. Wait, what's that strong arm stuff? It's rule and care. Rule and care. Now, every father that believes the scriptures has got some understanding of this. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. There's a graciousness. There's a gentleness. But it can thunder when there's sin without repentance. Well, let's turn our thoughts for a few minutes to the New Testament. There is so much to say about the Old Testament. There are whole books written about this. So it, it, that gives you some idea of the fullness of this subject. But see, this is in Paul's mind as he's standing there talking to the Ephesian elders. The Holy Ghost has appointed you. To oversee these people. Remember, God bought this with his blood. That's his flock. But I've appointed you, and, and God has appointed you men to do this. It's not just anybody. It's just people that the Lord has qualified in the text. <clears throat> The text, by the way, I'm speaking there in the sense of the, the whole Bible. First, uh, First Timothy and Titus, which we'll look at in just a moment. <clears throat> Got a bit of a later start today. I will press on here. First of all, Jesus is the shepherd. He's the shepherd that all of the Old Testament shepherds point to. When Herod asked the chief priests and scribes 
where Christ should be born, they said, it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee, listen carefully, shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The word translated rule is the verb to shepherd. I'm going to give my people a governor who is going to shepherd them. That was prophesied. And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one. That's the shepherd that all under shepherds answer to. If they're regenerate men, they know how awesome and extraordinary and, for lack of a better term, utterly mind-blowing that is. Why would you take weak and feeble vessels of dust and tell them to shepherd? Because that's his purpose. Jesus taught in the synagogues and in public. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Ooh, echoes of what Moses said. And in God's love, he didn't leave his people without shepherds. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus said to his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written in the Old Testament scriptures, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. The idea doesn't mean that they're just sent hither and thither. What's happening here is it says, Nothing worse can happen to the flock than for the shepherd to disappear. They need his governance. They need his supply. Americans don't need anybody but me, you know. That's one of the problems with our nation. You need Christ. Everybody here needs Christ. Oh, no, I'm okay. I just need a little help once in a while. You're in darkness. You need Christ. You are on your way to utter destruction unless God in his mercy opens your heart. And makes you see what you are. And then it will be like, Lord, what would you have me to do? Amen. Well, that was one of the marks that the Lord had opened Paul's heart on the road to Damascus. He had letters, official letters to go and persecute those Christians. Drag them out of their houses. Men, women, probably while children were screaming his mommy was being dragged out of the house. And the Lord stopped him and said, I'm the one you're persecuting when you do that. Paul, what was his response? What would a good American say? I can do it myself. Right? If it's to be, it's up to me. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? That's the sound of the new birth. There's no fighting, not fighting God, 
Not, not about my way. It's like, no, I'm bowing to the Lord. Whatever you want, that is what I want. Because you're the good shepherd. You know how to handle authority. I don't. As we saw in our previous uh, message, Jesus announced in John's gospel, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And under shepherds doing what God has given them to do, stretch themselves to that point. It isn't about, well, you know, once I finish my golf game here, I'll kind of saunter over and see if you need a little help. No. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The under shepherds are to learn from that. It's not about convenience. It's about loving Christ's people. Christ's blood-bought sheep. They can't do everything at once. They don't have all of the power that Christ has, but they've got Christ. And so if they're looking to him, they're going to err from time to time. They will need to be corrected from time to time. Scripture even makes room for that. The elders that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. If we're rebuking the elder, everybody can be rebuked. That's why elders need to be quick to repent and to ask forgiveness instead of hiding under their stinking pride. Jesus said this, he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own uh, the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling. He's not there because he's been appointed by Christ. He's looking for a job. You want to insult me? You might have that urge once in a while. Just come and tell me. You're not doing your job, man. I don't have a job. I am not a hireling. Pastor Clarence was not a hireling. I didn't come because this congregation offered me a big package. And I haven't stayed here for that. <clears throat> and that's the testimony of any God-appointed shepherd. They're not in it for the money. I tell you what, if you really understand much about pastoral work, there isn't enough money. The hireling runs away because he doesn't own the sheep. And he doesn't love the sheep. 
As the Father knoweth me, says Jesus, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about us. He came for us. He came for us. He came to save us from our stupidity. He came to bring us into his flock, and then he shepherds us. Jesus said, them, us, also I must bring. Why? Because his father said, you're going to save some Jews and you're going to save a lot of Gentiles. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what he did. Because he loves his father and because he loves his sheep. He loves us and gave himself for us. So, he said, they hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. One fold and one shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd. That's the shepherd he's talking about. We're all under Christ. Pastors are not on Christ's level. They're simply under shepherds. Doing what he sees doing what they see him doing. Now, let me, let me point out three quick things here, and we'll wrap this up for today. But first of all, when we look at what Christ has just said here, the first thing that he says is, <clears throat> good shepherds know their sheep. They know them. Which, by the way, means they need to talk to you and say, how are you doing? How's your prayer life? How can I be praying for you? Is there anything you're wrestling with that I can be praying about or helping you with? Oh, get out of my life. It's all private. No, it's not because your life affects every other sheep in the congregation. Your privacy is an American dream. Now, there is a biblical privacy. But it's not generally the way we think of it in our world. I don't want everything about me or you spread to everyone. But if it bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, take your best shot. This is what we want. Christ exalted. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, you know, we should, we should take things. Pastors should take things that that someone has told them privately and, and start uh, talking about it everywhere, that would be inappropriate. But at the same time, and I urge all of you, the, the new Free Grace broadcaster on conscience has a very short little article on pastors and consciences. Read it. I think it's three pages. It won't take you long to read it, but believe it. Shepherds can't shepherd Unless they have something, some knowledge about the sheep. I may be doing a series of messages on something over here that I think is fascinating, but is not helpful to anybody in the congregation. Number two, good shepherds sacrifice themselves for the good of the sheep. 
Thirdly, good shepherds communicate with the sheep. The sheep know my voice. They know the shepherd's voice. Now that brings us to this question. How do the sheep hear his voice? Jesus died. He rose again. He ascended into glory. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He is in splendor and, 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 and uh, majesty. <laughs> uh, how do we hear him? Anybody literally hearing him? How do you hear the shepherd? From his living word. It's right here. Well, I mean, I don't have time to read. I mean, I'm really busy. You're too busy for your own soul. You need to say, I will live a life by which I can obey my master. You might need to take a lesser job. I'm not saying you have to. That's not a law. I'm saying you need to adjust your life so that you can, with good conscience, obey the shepherd. Americans don't like that. That's not comfortable. Well, find out how God's people have lived throughout the ages. Sometimes they're very wealthy Christians, but a lot of times God's people are very happy poverty-stricken people. What's keeping you from fellowshipping with the Lord? Start looking at it really hard. What's keeping you from the Word? What's keeping you from prayer? What's keeping you from knowing the Master's voice? I'd view that as an enemy. Well, We'll stop there. Let me simply say, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd. You can, can, you can utterly cast yourself upon him with everything. All right. Then he takes weak and pathetic vessels of dust and puts them in his service. And their service is to say, this is what the shepherd says. So they can't just preach their own conscience. They can't just preach what they feel. They need to preach what the shepherd says. But then when they preach what the shepherd says, then they have to follow it through. If people live in rebellion against what the shepherd says, then there has to be what the scriptures call church discipline. There's love and there's discipline and that discipline is an expression of love. But Jesus Christ then made the apostles shepherds. We'll look at that next week. And the elders and pastors of congregations are shepherds. That's the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. The time of Christ, the time of the Son of God who came into this world, who died upon Calvary's cross, bearing the sins of his people. We're in that time. And in that time, the Lord promises to raise up men who will preach the word of God. They will preach so that there will be understanding. Why? So that you become more and more like the one you're going to be like for eternity. He's the model. 
Jesus Christ is the model. We're to set him before you and his word all the time because you're going to be like that. Well, brethren, as Paul said to the Ephesian elders, the Holy Ghost made you elders. That's what he does. I was going to read the qualifications for an elder, but we're out of time. We were there, but we'll pick that up next week. The qualifications, we will work through them carefully so that we can see. But I think it vital for you and for me to understand that an elder, weak and feeble as he may be, is a fulfillment of what God promised to his people in love. It is God's wonderful way of helping us to love one another and to love him. Christ could appear, if it pleased him, in every congregation personally, every time they gather. But he hasn't chosen to do that. He takes weak vessels of dust and says, now, learn my word and faithfully feed it to my people so that they will grow and prosper. May God grant it to be so. May the head of the church so bless us, especially as we look for another elder. Amen. Now, I thank thee, righteous Father, for these thoughts. They are weighty. They are remarkable as we look and see that the perfect Christ would use imperfect vessels to represent him. That, Father, that is why thou hast given us this word. Oh, please, give me and give every pastor that the Holy Spirit has made greater light in the word, greater Christ-likeness, greater characteristics of the model that is seated at the Father's right hand. Make us all like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. If you please stand with me. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's what he saved you for. working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Lord Jesus. After we do the Lord's Supper.